Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 152, Your Pain is My Entertainment. This week we're discussing season one, episode seven of Battlestar Galactica, Six Degrees of Separation, and season three, episode two of Angel, That Vision Thing. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so BSG. Mm -hmm. uh, six degrees of separation. Mm -hmm. So uh, we actually didn't talk about talking about this, but uh -huh. um, what what do you think the title means? <laughs> hmm. You know, that uh, that thought... That question occurred to me today, and I thought to myself, I should think about that, and then I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know I that mean, I have any, the, like... The, the number six, of course, has sure, significance, yeah. and so we have, and maybe it's nothing more than that, right? Because we have, like, head six disappears for a while, and we have, like, this real-world, you know, model six person who, mm -hmm. you know comes and accuses and right obviously is very uh relates very differently to mm -hmm. baltar and stuff so right and baltar sort of separated from his preferred number sure six. sure um, yeah the the one thing that did before i like got distracted into not thinking about it again um the one <laughs> thing that uh actually i do remember wondering is if you know, there could be some way, you know, this idea of six degrees of separation of like, you know, you can find a connection to anyone in the world, no matter how big the world is and how many people there are. You know, this idea of like, it really all does come back to Baltar. <laughs> like, you know, like whether or not they they can trace all of those connections you know mm. it almost there's something in that i think to what Rosalind says of like i i believe you were involved somehow like there's a sense of all right we may disprove this particular connection but i believe that there are these links that is things aren't just random coincidences there's a you know there's more closeness and design sort of behind the scenes than might be apparent um you know, I don't know how convincing that is, but um, I kind of like that idea that, like, you know, whether it's Baltar or whoever, you know, these people are all sort of connected in more ways than they can see. And, you know, sure. uh, they might seem like random victims of this apocalypse, but maybe some of them are a little bit more than that. Um yeah. Cool. That's there, a, I just pulled that out of nowhere. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a nice, nice bit of on the spot BS. If I didn't it. so no, no, I it's think exactly I think it all was. makes sense. Cool. All right. Well, you had some production notes, or or at least a production note. Yeah, I yeah. I just wanted to mention the writer, um, whose name is Michael Angeli, because he, uh, like the other writers so far this season, will be back. Although he's actually in it a bit more um, than the ones we've seen. He actually writes seven episodes over the course of the series. Um, so I think it's just this one for season one. And then 
he uh, has uh, several episodes, both in season three and season four. So he sort of goes away for a little while and then comes back and does a fair amount in the end. So definitely as someone who's important for like the end game, wanted to point him out. Um, and he's someone, you know, you can find as a writer and producer on other shows like The Hundred and Black Sales and Law and Order, Criminal Intent. So, um, you know, definitely a, a fairly uh, prolific TV writer and everything. So um, just wanted to point him out. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, so this episode... Uh we sort of return to the person versus everyone model that we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, yeah. And this time it's Baltar. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, first, first up it's sort of Baltar versus head six, which, um, you know, obviously we've gotten like them sort of having arguments before. Right. But this, like this time she leaves them. I'm really leaving you this time, yeah. she says, yeah. um, for for as much as a figment of your imagination can leave you. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I wanted to talk about, because um, of course we have a renewal or um, expansion, really, of the sort of conversation around faith um, mm -hmm. that they've had sort of ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, only this time, like, Baltar just can't take any more. And sort of laces into her about, yeah. uh, you know, how can a smart, beautiful woman, you know, believe yeah. this kind of crap? Right. Um, which, again, is like, it's not like this is anything new. It's just like the severity of his opinion is maybe mm -hmm. uh, a little uh, greater than, than it's been in the past. Um, or the severity of the expression, anyway, of his opinion. Right. Uh, and, you know, she, uh, you know, she expresses her opinion about, you know, there's only one God and this and that. And um, so they get into an argument over it and she sort of goes away. Like, yeah. for the most part, um, except for like the one brief moment where like she basically says, don't piss me off. <laughs> and like, sure, you know, uh sort of letting him know um when he meets i think i think it's right after he meets godfrey right and right sort of hears her accusations that that like you get a sense that they're um despite the title of the episode that there's actually a connection there between mm -hmm. um the two versions of six um and of course like you know there's still that question of is head six really his imagination or mm -hmm. is she some kind of like, is there a communication going on right. somehow, you know, right. in some way. Right. And so the question then becomes, uh, is there like, does Godfrey know about head six and in some way control her or, you know, or is there like, are, are they like two manifestations of the same thing? So it's not really one controlling the other, but they're both sort of in cahoots, I guess. Right. Right. Um, yeah. We don't really know. Right. But the timing seems to suggest that there is 
some kind of connection there. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's done in such a way where like, you know, like with the the Cylon implement that Baltar finds in what is it? Is it the miniseries or, or the miniseries yeah. or whatever it is? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, is there? Is it like? Oh, did he just sort of notice that sort of, you know, because, uh, you know, sort of subconsciously and then like six is just his, his mind's way of bringing it to the forefront or, mm-hmm. or is there, is this like actually a external entity pointing something out to right. him? Um, we just don't know. Like right. we just simply can't make that determination. And right. it's the right. same here. We don't really know if the two sixes have awareness or collusion with each other um yeah no but but and it's interesting in this episode um i feel like they use that really effectively the fact that you really feel uh number six's like absence in the episode like you're so you're like baltar you're so used to her being there as this you know force in his life that it's sort of this void when she goes away this lack of direction um and Mm. i like like i feel like they do a good like that's effective when as he's having conversations with whoever roslyn or adama or whatever you have him like wandering around their empty mind palace house in his mind you know there's the sense of like as he's speaking to somebody there's like a little bit of his mind that's back there looking for her for some sort of like guidance and everything Mm. um and I think you bringing up like the strengthening of the the their argument about God and faith is really important because, you know, there is this sense of everything that happens to him here, you know, is related to that. You know, there's a sense of, you know, sure. punishment for him. And we've seen that before where... And we've seen like what appears, if six is to be believed, to be like direct consequences of his lack of faith, where, you know, like the whole thing, um, I think it was in 33 with um, the, the Olympic carrier and, you know, Dr. Amrak and everything where, you know, there's this sense of they're going to find you out unless you repent to God. And it's when Baltar submits and and repents that it's right after that that like Rosalind gives the order to you know shoot so there's this sense of like okay is there a connection there is is Baltar's faith somehow you know the thing which is determining all these things and I think like that's definitely like at least the impression that number six wants to give here is you know she we start the episode with her saying um like you know, why are you blaspheming and you're tempting fate? And if you don't believe in God, then, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. And he like, you know, he's, you know, his, he's forgotten his repentance and he's sort of back to his, like, how can you believe this nonsense? And then bad things start to happen to him personally, you know, like suddenly his number six abandons him and this other number six shows up with all this evidence lined up to nail him, some of it true, some of it false, but like, it doesn't matter, you know, it's going to take him down. And it's, but like, again, in the end, like, okay, he repents again and prays and devotes himself to God. 
and then six shows up you know and gata comes up with the with the false photograph and again you're left with that question like is that coincidence or you know is that his you know is he being rewarded you know by whatever but it raises all sorts of questions like you know i think we're you know certainly we're used to thinking of god as you know if you believe in him and if he exists he's like a benevolent you know loving deity that wants good things for you and here it's like okay if we believe in this god then this is a god that apparently cares most of all about baltar and like (laughs) like you know there's all that like you know letting the olympic carrier be destroyed because of Baltar's repentance or, you know, um, letting him get away with treason, which he did commit, even if not quite in the way they're accusing him, um, because of his repentance there and everything. So even if you do go the route of, okay, there really is a God at play here and he really does want Baltar's faith, you know, you kind of, I feel like you're not quite sure how to think about how that plays out, you know, Mm. and like the morality of that, you know? Um, So it just raises, I mean, obviously it doesn't answer any of those questions, but I feel like it raises a lot of questions about, you know, related to what is going on with the number sixes. And then if they are, if this head six is real, or these different sixes are in cahoots, then what does that imply about like the larger universe that's at work here? Um, right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like with the whole punishment and reward system, it does seem a little too neat to be, you know, like, uh, uh, some sort of supernatural being mm-hmm. necessarily like in, in some respects, because it is that like, Oh, you know, if you don't do what I want, then you're going to be punished and Oh, look, oops, you're punished. But it's, you know, if there is this cahoots thing going on, mm-hmm. then it's pretty easy. It seems like that would be pretty easy to arrange. Right. Like right. <laughs> for right. her well, to like just come other... up at this moment to yeah. be like, Oh, Hey, I have this photograph. If you don't do what I say, bad things are going to happen. Like, and hint, I'm going to leak this photograph, which he doesn't know is, you know, exists beforehand. So it's not really blackmail per se in that respect. But, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's the other, the other possibility too, is that it's not, uh, it's not like punishment and then like forgiveness because of his, his faith or his blasphemy or whatever, but you know, what he kind of wonders at the end is, was this the plan all along? Was this a whole ploy to sort of, again, for whatever purposes, tear him down and then build him back up? So, you know, maybe your trust is, you know, on somewhat shaky ground with, with Adama and Roslyn. And this is a plan to, strengthen that because if we accuse you of something and then prove it false and exonerate you you then have a much firmer sort of 
you know, like she says, like you've already been accused and exonerated. It's hard to be accused again. You know, it like, there's something psychologically there of like, well, we already went down that route and it was shown that he was framed. So, you know, giving him a bit more of a cushion in the eyes of like, you know, the authority figures and everything. Um, You know, so that's the other, the other possibility is like, it was never dependent on his repentance. It was just all a big design to sort of elevate him in the minds of the other people. Um, Sure. So. And, you know, uh, it's not like the, the reward of course, isn't just him getting out of prison, right? Like there's that whole sexual thing. Sure. Yeah. That's, like in your brain, but you know, he's got a pretty good mind palace going there. Right. Like right. you you get the sense that like, he's feeling all the normal feelings that one would feel in, in that situation. Right. No, it's very real. And I think you get that from the fact that you get all the different characters catching him, having conversations. So it bleeds into even though I think what we see is that kind of mind palace, you definitely get the sense that for him, this is a real interaction going on, you know, with all the attendant, you know, attributes of that, you know? So, uh, yeah, you're right. So when she, so the kind of consequence again, is not just like the threat to him in terms of like being charged with treason, but her absence is like part of the punishment too of like, I'm going to withhold this, you know, relationship from you and everything. So part of the reward at the end is, you know, giving that back yeah. to him. Not not withholding. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Which he equates at the end with God's will be done, you know, <laughs> like as he runs upstairs, <laughs> well, yeah. like those two things are equivalent for him now, I think is like, you know, the favor of God and my sort of relationship with this head six are sort of, you know, synonymous or like dependent on each other, you know, um, which again, to what extent he really believes in God, I think is still up for debate, but certainly the point has been made that if he wants that relationship with number six, he better act like he believes because the two go hand in hand, you know? Sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know. I I feel like in the moment that he's repenting in the cell, he might believe it. It's just a question of, does that linger or not? How long does that stick, you know? Like, does that deathbed conversion really hold true past past the, uh, you know, the being set free and everything? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole idea of deathbed conversion is questionable to begin with you know especially i mean it remains to be seen now that he didn't actually (laughs) die you know what what is how is he going to continue to act and and right interact with people so yeah yeah anyway so Um, we should definitely talk a little bit more about Shelley Godfrey and the fact that 
like, not only are his interactions with her very different, but she's very different, which is, I think, striking, you know, like, sure, this is not just another seductive number six in a red dress, which is more or less what all of the versions of her we've seen have been, you know, but um, this one comes in in like, a very conservative, you know, buttoned up outfit. And, you know, uh, kind of offended by every, you know, remark that he makes about her and completely, you know, convinced of his, you know, villainy and everything. Um, Yeah. Well, and, you know, presumably worked for the Department of Defense. Although, I guess, like, we don't really know. Like, does anyone ever confirm that she even worked at the defense department or whatever. I don't think so. Like, like it, it, she's just sort of taken at face value. Right. Um, and like, I don't even know that they would have the ability to confirm that. Right. Um, at this point, like, it is literally just an accusation with, with no real evidence, which, you know, on the one hand, you know, like, Baltar will always say anything that will get him out of trouble, right? But yeah. on the other hand, like his his point about, you know, not wanting to rely on Roslyn's gut feeling is mm-hmm. an absolutely accurate one too, mm-hmm. because like there is no evidence one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um no real evidence. It's just he said, she said, basically. Right. Right. Which is interesting because, again, he is guilty, just not in the way that she's accusing him. <laughs> like, we know the irony of that. We know that he's guilty. He knows that he's guilty. Sure. But it's, so, but it's it's not like the evidence that she has is is fabricated yeah. in the end. Um, like, I love that moment when she says, oh, he's you can see he's carrying a bomb to blow up the defense. And he's like, I definitely never did that. <laughs> like, right, right. He knows the other stuff that he did, but he also knows, you know, where this is inaccurate and everything. Well, and it's like, is a thing of what, so, you know, what is his guilt exactly? Like, mm-hmm. cause you mentioned before, like treason. And I don't, I don't know that I would say he's like, maybe technically like it could be viewed as treason, but you know, what did he do? He helped his girlfriend, like potentially or he thought he was helping his girlfriend potentially get like a better contract for her employer kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know what I mean? So right. um, it, it reminds me actually of Serenity, the movie mm-hmm. where um, at the beginning you have the operative saying to like the doctor who was treating River when Simon came in and, and rescued her or treating is probably the wrong word, uh, whatever. And he, you know, the operative says, do you know what your sin is? It's pride, you know? And then there's, he plays like the clips, like, you know, key members of Congress. And he goes into like the whole thing about how like, oh, you put key members of Congress in front of, you know, this girl who's a psychic kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so he goes on that. Like, I feel like that's the same thing that Baltar is. Mm -hmm. Like his, his, his was not, it's not treason. Like he wasn't, Mm -hmm. he didn't have bad motivations. Right. There was no plot. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. He it wasn't like he was in collusion with the Cylons, which is what he's being accused of. Right. His 
his sin was I'm important mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, and, and I can do this special favor for you because I have power and people trust me. Mm-hmm. And that's his sin. Mm-hmm. And that was used against him and against everyone, you know, so it's not, it's not that he necessarily is a bad person. He just is a vain person and, sure. you know, one who believed that his actions were sort of above reproach and obviously they're not. So anyway, I I just sort of wanted to point that out too, because like now at the end of the episode, like, you know, we sort of hinted at before, like there, there is a sense of like, now he is above reproach in mm-hmm. a way, because like head six says, like you've gone through the fire, like mm-hmm. you've been tested and, you know, found worthy, mm-hmm. you know, whether you actually are or not, mm-hmm. that's beside the point, but you've been found like, you know, he, at one point, Baltar says he's being sort of judged in the court of public opinion. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, he was, but again, like now he's been exonerated and that mm-hmm. public opinion is favoring him and he's not complaining about that. Right. Right. Like, like the court of public opinion is perfectly fine when it's in your favor. Right. <laughs> like, and, and it might be just as inaccurate as when it was against you, but you know, right. Right. That doesn't make it any more right. accurate. Certainly. Right. Um, so yeah. Anyway. So I just, yeah, just thinking about that, wanted to sort of note that like his, uh, yeah, his sin isn't, or his crime isn't necessarily treason. I don't, I don't think per se, again, mm-hmm. maybe from some technical definition, it could be, but at least from like a, you know, intent. Yeah, no, I know, don't. Side of things. There's, no, and, there's... and, and I think when I mentioned that, I agree with you. I think I was more saying it as that that's the thing that they're accusing him of. That's the thing that he's being sure. sort of, he would be charged with if they were able to prove it. But I do agree, like, there wasn't um, homicidal intent in, or, or you know, or treasonous intent in what he did. Um, it was more, like you said, proud and vain and, like, negligent, if anything else. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, and, and with Shelley um, Godfrey, too, there's also... Uh, the, you know, the, the flimsiness of her arguments, I think, plays into that sense of we're intentionally putting you through a public trial in order to strengthen you because, you know, Gata mentions that the photos were actually not very well crafted in the end. And like he says, Mm -hmm. like she almost wanted to be found out, like once you knew what you were looking for, it was pretty obvious where the sort of seams were. Um, and then I always think that too, with you know, the scene where she sort of, uh, tries to seduce Adama and everything, you know, like, I think I, like the first time I saw it, I remember thinking like, oh, like, this is so stupid. He's never going to buy this and who would ever go for the, and then of course he doesn't buy for it, buy it, you know, like he instantly mm-hmm. realizes this is, you know, a ploy of hers. But again, you get that sense of, okay, is that supposed to be the case? Like, it seems as though at times she's going out of the way to make herself look suspicious, you know, and like putting on the most obvious sort of seduction that you possibly can. Um, So, 
like I think there's that sense of the things you know he may be guilty of something in a different way but sort of like from a legal point of view like what he's being charged with is so much above what he actually is guilty of that there's no way it can stick so it sort of makes it easier to you know call him sort of innocent at the end of the day um so yeah right um and I also want to point out with the connection of the sixes too, that you know, the name Godfrey, um, you know, so where you have head six talking about, you know, God's will and, you know, the faith in God and everything, you have this other number six shows up, you know, and Godfrey, you know, meaning the peace of God, like, you know, she's kind of another reminder of, you know, uh, the peace that Baltar can have if only he, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, puts his faith in the one true God and everything. Sure. Um, okay. So we've talked about the first, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Confrontation, I guess. Um, well, the first couple, I guess, I, I guess I was sort of including Godfrey as mm -hmm. a, a, a continuation of six, but mm -hmm. um, which she is kind of in a way. But um, we have the other. I you know don't want to pass up the other uh, sort of altercations that we have. Um, it, mm -hmm. Altercation may or may not be the right word. At least with Geta, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there, there's more of like a sycophant slash stalker thing going on between. Sure. Uh, uh, Baltar and Kate in but, this episode. But which is which is the question. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, right, because we've got, we've had Gaeta before, like, being really happy with, mm -hmm. like, being assigned to work with Baltar and, you know, um, at least from a sycophant angle, like, that could easily be, you know, sort of seen. But um, this time around, like, you get uh, you know, Baltar, you know, initially trying to convince, like, Adama and them that, you know, it's not him on the video, whatever. And Gaeta's yeah. sort of put in this position of being the one who apparently, he like, so Gaeta's sort of turning into, like, um, the, like, technical jack-of-all-trades right. guy, right? Like, like he knows enough about science and technology that, like... He can just... When it, whatever and, and, Adama needs. <laughs> and, and he's high enough in sort of the chain of command that, you know... Yeah, Adama to be trusted can just with sort it. of yeah. Right, to be trusted with it, whatever. And so Adama can just, like, tell him, do this, do that, and... No, um, it's like, I feel like every office has someone like that, of, like, <laughs> like that's your all-purpose, like... The boss just knows, all right, you can do this. You'll take care of it. It'll be done fine. You know, there's that sort of, you know, there's always that sort of jack of all trades, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, of course, like, before Baltar was sort of uh, irritated at being, like, saddled with, you know, Gaeta, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, almost feeling like... Yeah, like, like one, like, Gaeta's not maybe up to snuff when it comes to the science stuff, even though he's sci studied science a little bit or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, also that, like, 
like he's potentially like an informant or something for Adama. Sure. But now, now it's like, you know, there's sort of a 180 degree turn because now yeah. like the fate, like Baltar's fate is literally in Gaeta's hands. So yeah. you get like the, oh, by the way, I've been meaning to mention this to you about how much you've been a help, big help to me what, these what, last weeks. What BFFs we are now and everything. Yeah. 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 Um, no, and I get the sense too that he, it's not that he's like, you know, in that scene where he was sort of annoyed by it, being followed around by him. It's not that he was just oblivious to it, you know, because you get him like using that here, like, like, oh, we'll do stuff in the lab. It'll just be you and me. You know, we don't have to tell him like, you know, there's this sense of, I'm aware of how you look up to me and I will use that, you know, to my advantage. Right. And it used to annoy me, but now it's useful to me to, to have that. Um, yeah. And so I want to bring up something in reference to this, because I feel like this is a good point to bring it up. Um, and I want to mention too, that uh is my favorite character. So I could just probably, in general, just in general show. for the show. So I could probably tend to go on, slightly long tangents about how much I love this character but and some of it is like where it ends up going later on so you know sure. some of that like sure. I you know it wasn't even until I'd watched the whole series that I even necessarily like you know had that cemented in my mind or whatever well and sorry just to sort of interrupt there like yeah. I, you know I feel like with a lot of the characters like it would be hard to do that because at certain times you're going to like yeah. or dislike certain characters and that tends to change as yeah. the series goes on like who you're sort of favoring and yeah. disfavoring well and in i think with gata in particular especially in the first couple seasons he doesn't have as much to do like he's very much like you know mm -hmm. he has his occasional scenes or whatever but he's not necessarily like leading episodes so it's not really until the later seasons that he really starts to come to the forefront as much. Um, sure. Although going back and rewatching it, I feel like I can appreciate more so now that I have all that later stuff in my back pocket. Now I can appreciate the stuff early on that sort of laying the groundwork for that. So I think that even kind of elevates the earlier stuff, but like, yeah, on your first viewing, you don't necessarily know, you know, where it's going to go or whatever. Um, but something I want to bring up in reference to that, which is one of the reasons why I like him so much is, um, and I feel like it's, it's hard to talk about because it's very subtextual, but um, at least in, you know, interviews and, you know, in retrospect and everything, um, there's been a number of places where, <clears throat> excuse me, losing my voice, where, um, Alessandro Giuliani, who's the actor who plays Gaeta, has talked about some mm. of the stuff of what he had worked in. And it is definitely in his mind as, you know, from pretty early on, like in the first season, that Gaeta has some sort of feelings for Baltar. Um, and, you know, you can kind of take that in a number of different ways. Like, obviously, there's that kind of sycophantic thing. There's a you know, you can read it in a kind of hero worshipy sort of way. Um, but he was thinking of it at least at times in, you know, romantic ways too. Um, mm. 
so I want to kind of bring it up because I think it's really interesting because I think it's up for debate to what extent that's ever a hundred percent confirmed in the show. Um, sure. Or to what extent I, I kind of find it fascinating to have something which is put there by the actor and not necessarily by the writers um, or that, you know, maybe the writers didn't have in mind, but responded to later on and incorporated. Um, but it's one of those things that now that I know it, I find it really hard not to see it when I go back and sure. watch it, you know, especially yeah. like, especially like, you know, the scene at the end in, um, you know, when he kind of lets him free out of the brig and everything, you know, and, you know, there's some of it is the lines, but some of it is just the way the actor's playing it of kind of, you know, oh, I'm such a doofus. I can't believe I didn't notice that in the photos. Like there's that kind of level of embarrassment there of, you know, I don't want to look mm -hmm. bad in front of Baltar and everything. Yeah, um, yeah. And he talked about huh. like, he, I think the reason he kind of put it in there is it helps make sense of some of these things of um, the impression I get is that he was trying to negotiate what seemed to be contradictory things of we're being told how intelligent and hyper con competent Gaeta is. And yet on the other side, on the other hand, he's the one who is absolutely the most all in, in terms of his faith in Baltar, you know, like sure. you have Adama and Roslyn who have reservations, at least by this point about right. how trustworthy Baltar is. But by the end of the episode, you know, you've got Gaeta saying, you know, I knew to rerun the checks because I knew you could never, ever do something like that. And like, that is such a profound, uh, you know, lack of character judgment <laughs> that, you know, that, sure. you know, I think the actor was sort of motivated to figure out, all right, if he's really this smart, then what is it that's blinding him to what a creep Baltar is? And maybe he's sort of distracted by, you know, these feelings that are starting to happen. Right. So, and again, they, those feelings could also be like, you know, I think hero worship could do that just as well. Um, sure. So there's different ways to read it. But anyway, um, I find that really entertaining to watch like an actor sort of interpret the text in his own way. And I, I like it when the actors don't just do what the script says, but actually try to make choices and interpret things in ways that make sense. I just think mm -hmm. it makes it a lot richer. So um, definitely, I definitely wanted to bring that up because I think now that like that is sort of, again, in the back of my mind as I'm watching it, that absolutely informs how I sort of read the character and those interactions and everything. Right. Um, so yeah. I don't know whether you had any, I don't know whether you'd ever heard that before or not, I, um, but. I had not. Um, so the, yeah, that'll be interesting to sort of see, like, I'm, I'm sort of thinking here, like, how does that recontextualize, mm, right. <laughs> you know, the various things that have gone on. And I mean, <clears throat> of course there's, it's not like we're saying, uh, uh, Gaeta definitely is, you know, has sort of romantic feelings. It's that 
the possibility is there. So it's just the fact sure. that the ambiguity even mm-hmm. um, makes you even think about it in a in a different way. Yeah, you know, or like things can relationships can blur different lines, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't necessarily sure. have to be just one thing. I mean, I think hero worship is still in there. There's still a sense of I'm a scientist who admires another famous scientist, you know, and somebody that maybe is a celebrity, you know, so it doesn't necessarily have to just be put into one box. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think like, I think I mentioned that before, in particular, the show is good at having actors who are very thoughtful and stuff. Um, And the writers who respond to that, you know, like them bringing Hilo back in because he did such a good job in the miniseries and everything. Like I think the writers in the show really pay attention to what the actors do and they try to like, you know, write to that and everything. Yeah. Um, And I think it just brings up all sorts of fascinating questions about what constitutes canon and text, you know, like at what point, where is the line between subtext and text? I don't know that I have an answer to that question, but it's kind of an interesting, you know, yeah. Interesting thing to sort of pay attention to, I think. Um, sure. Sure. So, uh, Baltar versus Adama. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not like, I guess this, we almost could have talked about this before Geta as well, but like, sure. Um, just because. Adam is sort of the one who gives Gata that thing. But I feel like it's like Baltar and Adama have sort of been at it, you know, since mm-hmm. they first kind of met. So yeah. I don't I don't know that there's anything different in quality to this. It's it's, you know, the <clears throat> Adam is a straight shooter and mm-hmm. and and Baltar definitely is not. <laughs> you know, he <laughs> yeah. he meanders about and sort of shifts is what he's saying and what he's trying to do like as the situation you know remains fluid and Mm -hmm. you know and so does his sort of talking around it um yeah so you know i think it's just more of that um and you also get like you know (laughs) like baltar with the rather childish attempt, like, you know, pulling the fire alarm, you know, to get like yeah. <laughs> Gaeta to leave the room. And right. I, and it is pretty funny because Gaeta like looks around and he's like, Oh, what, what's going on? And then he yeah. like runs out, out of the room. Yeah. Um, leaving everything sort of, but yeah. like immediately Adama like yeah. figures out what's Knows going exactly on. Like, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> what? Fire? Where? That's the lab. I got to get down there. Like, you know. Yeah, well, and childish, Baltar, when they, I love that shot, when they come in, and there's him next to his picture, and he sort of tries to, like, sidle over in front of it, like. Sort of scooches, yeah. yeah. Um, And then, like, like, the the guard just comes around the other side. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I want to point that out, too, because I think, obviously, we've talked about Baltar's, like, comic relief and everything, but, like, people talk about you know, BSG is like a grim dark show and in many ways it is, but like they, it definitely can be funny. And I feel like this is like a hilarious episode. Um, sure. You know, 
Which well, is and like the, the bathroom stalls, yes. like you know yeah. him sitting there, like asking, "So how you doing? Yeah, so how's it and doing? Then, oh, and in the, the lab, whistling. Yeah. yeah. Well, the question, like, how's it going? Uh, in the lab, in the lab, like he's right, like right. asking him about how it's going right. in the stall, and the way they're like the feet acting, <laughs> you know, that like yeah. when it gets awkward, their feet sort of turn in, like uh, I'm really uncomfortable right now, and like, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, no, there's definitely some, or I mean, even like you know with the sexually charged ending there like where he's like trying to be the pious recent convert and then he's like that's by god's will yes (laughs) exactly it's like well if god says i have to do this i guess i do um yeah um so some stuff like that definitely uh yeah but but yeah I, i mean i don't know that there's a lot to say more about the you know, versus Nama, but just worth noting that it's like, like it's more of the same of mm-hmm. Baltar being his sort of snaky, wily, yeah. you know, talk around it sort of guy, with, whereas Adama's just kind of yeah. there and straight shooter. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, the other thing I would say about Adama, just not so much with respect to Baltar, but because we won't, I don't know that we'll come back to him again, is... Mm-hmm. Um, is with Shelley and sort mm-hmm. of the the interesting moment insofar as like he clearly knows what's going on with her sort of trying to seduce him. Yeah. But I sort of have two reactions. One is that like like even despite the fact that he knows what's going on there, like he still seems like on the verge of like giving into it. You know what I mean? Like Sure. Define on the verge how you will, but you know, there's there definitely seems to be like a wistfulness, mm. <laughs> you know, if if nothing more. Um Right. Well know, she talks and, about like you understand all this loneliness and he's sort of like, Yes, like, you know, he doesn't yeah. you know. Um yeah, I think I always read it more as him playing along. Um, but maybe those things aren't necessarily and, contradictory. Um, and like, I, I think he is consciously playing a lot. Like, I, mm-hmm. that's why I say, like, I mean, he clearly knows in the moment right. what's going on. Like, I don't think he's ever fooled by her. Right. Right. But, but <laughs> like, there's also that, just like that hint of like, back somewhere deep in that brain of his, just thinking <laughs> like, you know, wouldn't it be nice? Sure. You know? Um, at the same time, I find it kind of absurd that given that she's so transparent in Mm -hmm. her attempt at seduction, that his, his, uh, order is to follow her Mm -hmm. and not, okay, I'm going to secure you until the rest of you know, this investigation. Like, because sure. on the one hand, like, all right, yes, I get that Adama's like <laughs> Mr. Civil Liberties and all that, but he has no problem throwing Baltar, Baltar and, in right, the brig. Right. So, like, why would he, you know, after after Baltar, like, okay, so Baltar is, of course, accusing her of being a Cylon, which, if he's a Cylon <laughs> collaborator, is totally the sort of thing a Cylon it's collaborator would do. The thing you'd right? expect him to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, like, like she is showing suspicious signs right. here. So right. why wouldn't he just say, 
hey, Miss Godfrey just left my quarters, grab her and throw her in the brig until right. we get this sorted out. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of imagined that he wanted to see what she would do. Like, does she go meet with any other Cylon collaborators in secret meetings? Does she, like, do, like, sure. I, more of a, like, follow her and get some sort of intelligence to see if she does anything else that's suspicious? But probably... Having learned once before about, like, you know, what happens when you take the more, you know, lenient approach to security, probably that would have been, like, the smarter thing. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. Well, and again, like, given the fact that he doesn't really have any problems with throwing Baltar in. Right. Like, like that just right. becomes like, well, then why not right. just throw her in the brig, too? So. Right, right. Um, anyway, um, Baltar and Rosalind. Interesting conversations. So, like, yeah, first is the phone conversation, right, with uh, the two of them, where she like sort of expresses her sorrow at the situation, <laughs> and then, like, very refuses... carefully worded, <laughs> yeah, uh, then, like, obviously, refuse, like. He's on a no-fly list. And so, like, the question becomes, like, is that a military decision or, or a, you know, a presidential decision? Like, mm -hmm. you know, because right from the beginning, we've had that distinction, right? Right. But, like, ignoring the fact that, like, like here in the U.S., like, we've, you know, the president is also the chief, you know, commander mm -hmm. of the... The commander in chief of the armed forces so there's overlap obviously there but like mm -hmm. given given the distinction that Roslyn and Azama have sort of created like it seems like simple travel wouldn't <clears throat> necessarily be a military thing like travel sure. to and from ships now maybe because but then on the other hand because it's like BSG Mm -hmm. does that make it a military thing like right right like adama so, if adama says you can't leave the ship then you right. can't leave yeah so but like but it is open so like there is that question of like is this adama or is mm -hmm. this roslin who put him on this list and is sure. this like who controls this list and and all of that right. like so there's some you know bit of political intrigue in that um, right. as well or it 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 suits roslin to like let Adama make that decision because like maybe she would have done it sure. anyway, but you know, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, Adama right. put you on the, there's nothing I can do. You know, <laughs> maybe right. she kind of really doesn't want him coming over to her ship anyway. Yeah. 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 My so, hands are tied. Yeah. 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 Um, um, so I feel like, yeah, whoever made that call, they're sort of in, uh, in agreement on that, you know, Right. On that particular decision, I think. Right. Yeah. And maybe, um, so maybe it's a joint call, even at this, like maybe right. it's a no fly list of one. Right. You know, like right. we don't know how long the list is. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how I kind of interpret it as like, that's, that's, code, like, that's code for you're not going anywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. Him, him and the, you know, former prison ship, you know, like those right. are the two, right. yeah. you know, things on the no fly list. Right. Uh, you know, or the people on it. Yeah, Tom so. Zarek. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, so uh 
And then, so, of course, well, and then she has her fainting spell and mm-hmm. Billy is a poor press secretary. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and then she comes over to the Galactica and is there. Excuse me, sorry. Um, and then she comes over to the Galactica and is there in the brig with him to mm-hmm. talk about what's going on. And and there's that conversation that we sort of alluded to earlier of, you know, her saying, well, you know, why'd you do it? And then and then the like ever since I heard the accusation, like mm. I knew like in my gut that there was something up. And it's which is frustrating because on the one hand, like Baltar is perfectly right. Like, you know, executions shouldn't be left up to the gut feeling of the president, you know, no matter how strong that feeling is. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Baltar did have something to do with, you know, what's going on, you know, and, and the attack and whatnot. So, and I I like the way that that's phrased of, I believe you're involved in it somehow. Like there's this sense of she knows he's going to get off on some sort of technicality or like yeah. there's maybe knows is too strong. Well, maybe, she, maybe not. Like I, I get the feeling that even if, even if he's right about that, not being him on the, the picture mm-hmm. that like, it, it's like one of those things. It, it's like basically an ends justifies the means kind of thing. Whereas like, he's guilty it's just like this is the only way we can get him so even if that's not really it it's okay because he's still guilty it's like you know getting al capone with tax fraud you know right. what i mean like right he no, killed lots I, of people yeah. and made illegal booze and whatnot but like those aren't the things they could nail him on so like let's get him where we can get him. right well and and i think it goes to her larger point about her her gut and her instinct of even if we find that this particular evidence is false, which is what ends up happening, that doesn't necessarily change her feeling, you know, that she's kind of saying, even if we prove, you know, that Shelley is a fraud and all this stuff, does that change her instinct? Not really. Like it's that kind of threat of just so you know, I have an opinion about you and it's not necessarily going to be, changed if we find that you're innocent on this particular issue um you know yeah which is interesting well Well, i was gonna say it's interesting then when she kind of is publicly exonerating him because it's like that's i assume her feeling holds true so it's a totally false uh you know front that she's presenting to the to the public and everything yeah and that's the question is is that right you know, does she still hold that same thought? Right. But yeah, like that's the difference between private conversation in a cell versus yeah, what's what's the public thing gone here? And and Rosalind becoming more adept at that kind of politicking, you know, of of sure of I have my certain private feelings. And those are not necessarily, even if they're very serious and dire and about like life and death, those are not necessarily the the things that I say publicly, you know, and her being able to sort of hold those two things 
separately from each other. Yeah. Whereas that seems very Rosalind to me. Like, I feel like Adama, like you said, Adama's the straight shooter. You know, it, you, it's hard for it's harder for me to imagine Adama doing a whole public exoneration for something that he didn't believe in. You know? I mean, maybe like a yeah. a version of that with gritted teeth saying as little as possible or like nothing more than the barest of truths or something. But like the whole like Rosalind's like, you know, as a as a colleague and a friend and all this stuff like that is very sure. two sided politician in a way that I don't think I can't imagine like Adama sort of, you know, going through with and everything. Which I think is like, you know, uh, uh, is it a change in Rosalind? I don't know. But I think at least she's becoming more comfortable with that kind of, you know, uh, yeah. maneuvering well, and everything. And, you know, I mean, she was the education secretary before, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, obviously that role comes with some sort of requirement to do you know some right. kind of like you said politicking or whatever but um yeah like i i agree like there definitely seems to be especially especially just after having collapsed right mm -hmm. like like there's this idea that maybe she needs to be even more sort of like upbeat and sprightly and whatever you know however you want to put it well and that's true i hadn't thought of that but that's two issues in this, in the episode where she is having to put on a face for the public, which is not really how she feels, You're like right. a, both about her health and about her private feelings about Baltar. So yeah. she's sort of having to do all this, like you know, give herself whatever shots and you know, make herself look like right. she believes in things that she doesn't necessarily really believe. It's not. It's not that kind of shot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which begs the question, does that make her more like Baltar than maybe she would like to be? Closer in that, in that way, closer to Baltar than Adama. You know, if yeah. we're talking about Baltar as the maneuverer and Adama as the like straight shooter, I say Rosalind skews more towards the Baltar end of that spectrum. She may yeah. not, it may be more intentional with her. I don't know that it comes as naturally as it does to Baltar, but certainly she's capable of it, I think. Um, and she decides to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, anyway, so <laughs> in the last two minutes, I want to talk real quick about like sort of the other plots. I don't even know, like sort of. Yeah things that happen Subplot. Um, the 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 stuff with the cylon ship like we get um the chief and callie you know just kind of trying to figure out how to work it and they can't uh, well tyrell's trying to figure it out callie sort of seems to be like the one who's like handing him wrenches and stuff or right. whatever and, and, kind of and smirking just kind at of like, him. yeah commenting on side um uh but of course they're not making any headway so you have so there's two things that happen, right? So the first is you have Boomer sort mm -hmm. of wanders in 
not really sure why. Like, is this like a, oh, I'm just going to try to bump into the chief kind of thing? <laughs> right. Like, after he cut me off? Mm-hmm. Um, or is she just curious about the ship or want to see it or whatever? Um, and you get this kind of metaphysical uh, waxing eloquent about the Cylon ship uh being like a beloved pet basically mm-hmm. and and treating it uh you know not as a thing but as kind of a maybe if not as a person as like something that's at least conscious and has some kind of intelligence right mm-hmm. it's not it's more than just a machine um and then like she tries to play it off as well that's just my guess right like, right and Cheryl's like what <laughs> like yeah that's got to be way more than a guess, but yeah. um, you like know, that just sounded pretty well thought uh, through. Yeah, uh, you know, another sort of, I don't maybe not confirmation, but a piece of data, mm-hmm. you know, to sort of build on what at least seems to be at this point suspicions about, yeah, you know, boomers, uh, 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 pedigree or whatever you want to call that, right? Um, right. And the other... I think worth pointing out too, to jump ahead slightly to the, like the other piece of it too, is that he puts it to the test. Like he mentions that later, like when right. Starbucks is there, he says, treat it like a horse and it, <laughs> it, it has results, you know? So sure. you kind of, there's a subtle sort of testing of her theory there that ends up to, you know, work out. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right. With, Starbuck, you have she's still laid up from her you know experience and hurt you know hurting her knee and all that um but she's getting like no sympathy like dr coddle isn't coddling her um so you get the uh you you know you get her like up and about like trying to walk or you know at least testing out the possibility of walking and she's not doing a very good job. You get Lee sort of mocking her and not having any real sympathy either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she just sort of becomes frustrated and goes back into bed. Um, and and also like Cottle like cuts her off the pain meds. Right, right. Which is like, are apparently really good and she likes yeah. them. <laughs> um, you know, which, hey, why not, right? But uh, yeah, she's she's kind of just feeling sorry for herself, I guess, to some extent, not, not to say that, like, I'm, I'm sure it hurt. I mean, I've had knee problems my whole life. So mm-hmm. like, I'm right. I'm first one to sympathize, but at right. the same time, like, you know, there's a point where you do just need to get up and learn how to walk again. And, and yeah, not even learn how to walk. Like she knows how to walk. It's just, you know, getting, you know, using those muscles and sort of gritting through the pain to, to you know get back to a point where you can yeah walk again and whatever and that seems to not be something she really wants to do so of course who is it that motivates her colonel ty you know and (laughs) best friend (laughs) and yeah and of course like it is funny because he comes in with such a painfully obvious uh you know bit of reverse psychology that Mm -hmm. she's like are you kidding me like do you really think that's going to work? But then like he doubles down on that, right? Like he's like, 
Nah, yeah. I don't really care because every day you lay in bed there is just confirms my opinion yeah. of you, which right. is like, again, you know that it's completely, you know, reverse psychology here, right. but like, of just course that's going to work because, yeah. because yeah. she's, she doesn't want to prove that he's right about her. And like, she doesn't even necessarily know. Like, I mean, she can guess pretty strongly, but he doesn't say what his opinion is of her. Right. It's just, yeah. Yeah. With as long as you lay there, you confirm that whatever that opinion is, she doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she wants it, you know, to to disprove him. Um even if it means blatantly falling into the uh the trap that he sets for her with regard to um you know, that sort of uh uh reverse psychology. Right. And just because it's obvious doesn't mean that it won't work, you know? Um, sure. He sort of even uses that. He sort of leans into it and everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, no, and, and Starbuck is like the worst patient ever. Like, yeah. you know, like, and that sure. actually feels right. Like, there's something very recognizable about certain aspects of her, you know, the Starbuck personality. It's like, I, I've met people like that, you know, like, um, and there's something about like, a certain brand of like tough jock that like it's like when she's down like you'll like the the self-pity sort of turns up to maximum and everything um maybe it's because you know normally she's the strongest and doesn't have to really prove herself and so it's easy to sort of you know not want to have to work for that or something but um yeah you kind of had they have to like bully her into actually like you know rehabilitating herself and everything right um so and then just sort of the final thing is you know another another scene or two in the Hilo and sharon saga um they run away from cylons and have sex in the rain like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that there's much more to say than that sure i mean obviously <laughs> it's a uh step you know further in the relationship than they'd gone and i think you know it's it's interesting to hear that from hilo's perspective there were feelings on his side of it before the whole thing started like he kind of says like even when you and chief were together i sort of so even predating what the the miniseries you know you get a sense that it's not just oh we've grown close running from cylons together but Potentially, there could have been something there going on for a long time that that ha- they haven't pursued before. Um, yeah. But and again, I want to point out like the juxta the juxtaposition of the two, like you know Sharon's of like you have the inner cutting between uh, Hilo and Sharon, and then Boomer in you know with the like Cylon written on her mirror and everything. Mm. which we don't know who put that there, you know, whether that was sure. her, you know, subconsciously or, my, or another somebody on the ship. My assumption not. was always that it was Godfrey. That's a good one. I mean, that, that, seems that was like a good candidate. Yeah. That just, you know, I don't know who else would know. Right. You know, like reasonably at this right. point. And like, I don't think we ever find out. Right. Like, so I don't, I don't, don't think so. I don't sure. remember if we do, but no. Um, that was just always my assumption: is that like, sure. well, you, you know, before she sort of like disappears into the ether, that right, you know, that's one of the things that she does. Yeah. Um, 
But that's interesting that like you have, you know, Boomer being maybe the first time she's explicitly confronted with that idea. Like obviously she's had, you know, some feelings about herself, which she's trying to avoid or, you know, repress or whatever. Yeah. And then there's been tension with her and Tyrrell. But here's the first, like, you know, real accusation, you know. So at the same time as you have her, you know, trying to erase that and deny it, you then have, like, you know, Sharon and Hilo becoming, again, closer and having a more, I guess, typically human relationship and everything. Um, so, again, sure. they're kind of going in opposite directions from each other. All right. Well, so we should move on to Angel at we this should. point um, and talk about that vision thing. So I know, um, sorry, I, I got one actually production note that I kind of wanted to throw mm -hmm. in here at the beginning. Um, and that's with regard to the writer, because we have a new writer um, mm -hmm. here as well. Uh, and it's Jeffrey Bell. And I wanted to bring him up. Um, in particular, so, well, for a few reasons. One, again, he's a new writer. Um, but also, uh, so he comes from, before Angel, he had worked on The X-Files, mm -hmm. uh, which is also where, like, Tim Minear had worked mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I want to say one or two maybe other writers, um, but I can't remember who off the bat. Um, he actually is, has gone on to work on a number of other things. So he worked on Alias, which was J.J. Abrams' mm -hmm. show um, in the fourth and fifth seasons of that. Um, and then he worked uh, on a few other things, but in particularly uh, Agents <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D. He has written uh, several episodes in the first two seasons mm -hmm. of that. So, um, But I also wanted to bring him up because he actually will become a rather important figure in the Angel show um he in fact will become the showrunner uh in the fourth and fifth seasons mm. so um which is kind of interesting so like you know this is we're in the beginning of the third season now but after one season of being a writer he's pretty much you know promoted to showrunner right <laughs> um you know after that one after that first season that he's there so um you know, he continues to write throughout. He writes a number of episodes in each season, um, including co-writing the series finale with Joss Whedon. So uh, hmm. just sort of someone to keep an eye on. And, and also, you know, as, you know, obviously like David Greenwald is still the showrunner <laughs> here at this point, but, you know, Jeffrey Bell kind of will have storylines that are kind of increasingly important and, and you'll, you know, you can see sort of how some of his episodes sort of tie into the bigger arcs and, and mm -hmm. themes that we're talking about. Um, and I think, you know, for this particular episode, just that, you know, it's very Cordy focused and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, I mean, you know, just sort of jumping right into the character and the things that she's sort of feeling and dealing with and, all of that, um, yeah, you know, I think is is pretty good. Um, so yeah, yeah, and I think it does. At least some of the themes that have been really prominent so far do crop up. Like, you know, I mean, we'll talk about them later. But certain things about like that kind of 
more uh, ambiguous world that Angel inhabits and everything. And, mm. and this idea of, um, you know, making, comp having to make compromises of it not always being clear what the, either what the right choice is or being willing to do something which maybe isn't, you know, the ideal in order to achieve something that needs to get done, you know, but, and kind of being mm -hmm. aware that this may have consequences later on, but I have to sort of focus on what's right in front of me. Um, sure. I feel like that's kind of, uh, you know, more and more so with Angel, it's trying to get at those, uh, you know, more yeah. amb those ambiguities and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one last thing about Jeffrey Bell too is that, of course, he also gets to introduce uh, two characters who we will see again. So mm -hmm. one is the the guy in the prison that mm -hmm. um, you know is released. Like I don't think that's a surprise that we might see him again. Um, right. The other is Skip. Oh. <laughs> we will we we will actually run into Skip again. Um, I won't say where or when. Like it's not right away, but. Uh -huh. um, you know, just that sort of thing. Who who is kind of like we can talk about him a little bit when we yeah. get to it, but um it's kind of a fun character. I, I, I like kind him. of liked Skip, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, um Yeah. No, I mean and again, with that theme of ambiguity, like most of the like demons that we meet in this episode turn out to be good. Like, you know, you have right. like like that's the 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 big reveal about um you know, the, the old Chinese couple and there's, you know, with guarding uh, the coin and then the kind of boil monster who guards the key, like that, you know, the twist is that those were good artifacts and these were, you know, uh, righteous guardians of them. And that Angel went around like beating them up and taking their stuff and everything. <laughs> like, right, and right. Skip is the same way, you know, that he, it seems heavily implied that uh you know the dude in the fire was there maybe for good reason and that skip is his sort of you know uh appointed by the the powers that be perhaps guardian yeah. or by yeah. somebody yeah on his, the good his side. jailer or whatever yeah, yeah. um so yeah um definitely playing into that kind of unexpected idea and everything um Cool. So in terms of the episode itself, um, I feel like it makes sense to start with Cordy since this is, a, you know, such sure. a Cordy heavy episode. And yeah, the, the, the vision thing, which has been sort of ongoing for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got them increasing in intensity and their physical effect and everything, um, which you get them referencing at the beginning of like talking about how they're going to be really sensitive and but how can they be sensitive in a way which is sensitive like to not make it really like obvious and you know contrived and everything which of course um they're only sort of so good at um and so you get this idea that Cordy actually hasn't had a vision in a while she says and so there's this sort of building mm -hmm. tension of um you know, her maybe worried about what that means and maybe mm. even kind of missing the fact that she's not getting them. But also there's 
it's like if you know something painful is coming and you have to wait for it, it's like it, the anticipation becomes even worse than, you know, the actual thing itself. Sure. So, you know, so not only now are we dealing with like really debilitating visions, but she has to like wait around not knowing when or if they're going to come back. So it's just getting like more and more excruciating. Um, yeah. And then we get for the first time this, uh, you know, a further level of where, you know, she has the vision and then, you know, goes into the bathroom by herself and finds that there's actually like a physical effect. So, you know, whatever she has the vision about, she, you know, it, you know, it happens to her. So she gets like the, the gash marks and everything. And then later on gets, you know, the boils and everything. Um, so yeah, like she makes the kind of book of Job comparison. And there is that sense of like, mm. you know, misery piling on misery and her having sure. to sort of, uh, and question why yeah, and yeah. and you know which is it's interesting because you know we had the suggestion from the last season that they would just keep getting worse because she's mortal and she's not really physically equipped to be able to carry them and that kind of throws you off the scent of wondering what's really going on like there's still a sense sure. of, okay, this is bad, but maybe this is just what happens when a mortal person goes through this. Um, whereas that's obviously not what it, where it ends up going at the end. Um, yeah. So, well, you know, this is the first time too, where you sort of get the physical manifestations. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, so Charisma Carpenter has said um, that, you know, obviously this is like an, a next step, like above, you know, just simply portraying the visions mm -hmm. and that, um, that this was quite a bit more challenging than she had even anticipated just like when she, I guess, like when she read the script or whatever. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think we should discount the idea that, you know, because she's human, like she may not, be able to like that she you know she may not be destined to mm -hmm. carry the visions you know for long so to speak but um there's definitely like like there this is a turning up to 11 kind of thing right yeah. like it's not just uh the normal visions like it's it's you know brain boy having yeah. his yeah. you know uh well you know having have seeing her in pain at his entertainment right yeah <laughs> um yeah. which is the the quote from lee that we used for the episode title here um yeah so let me see if like you know just to see if i'm reading it i don't know correctly or the same way as you um it seems like to me that the one that like the brain boy or Fez guy or whatever we're calling him, um, Kumar, 
the um <laughs> which all right so so we should point out that like now this is like another actor who has appeared in both Buffy and Angel in like different as different characters right right like, right because uh, he was in Beer Bad in season four of Buffy right right yeah maybe this is his Beer Bad guy's demonic twin or something um <laughs> so it seems like he's responsible for these visions which have these physical manifestations um and that's taken care of in the end you know uh he heals her or releases her from whatever sort of magic he had on her and uh angel you know pierces him through the brain so that's that's fine it still is open or at least implied to me again we know that she's still gonna get visions and she says like she expects them to still be painful but it seems to me that even their like the fact that they've been getting worse and like more frequent and more painful and everything was happening sort of anyway um and that really what the like fez guy added to it was this like you know physical sort of manifestation aspect so is that right um when so like yeah, I mean, now I, is it right. are we still expecting it to be like a kind of uh slow gradual degeneration kind of thing even past this um because that has been happening pretty much since all of the previous season too, of they've gotten worse and worse each time. Right. Um, right. I think, so I think the way we can read it just based on even the, what's going on in this episode is mm -hmm. that like, we know all of the other visions have led to actual bad guy. Demons, yeah. Right. So like when we find out that like, Oh, these last couple of demons that, you know, yeah i i don't think angel actually kills any of them right because like they specifically talk about like like the chinese whatever um mm -hmm. guys were like knocked out so he's like oh quick let's find right. the coin before they come to kind of thing right, so right. like they didn't actually kill them mm -hmm. which is kind of weird because like they would normally and at that point they don't know that they're good mm -hmm. but anyway <laughs> um yeah. And then uh I forget like does he does he kill the blistery guy or not? I don't we don't see it, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, so anyway, so like there's at least a possibility that he doesn't kill mm -hmm. you know that guy as well. Um and he doesn't kill Skip either. He doesn't kill Skip, right? He just sort of knocks him out. Mm -hmm. Um but at that point he knows that Skip's on the good side, so he's right. not trying right. to trying to kill him, right? Um so yeah, so you know and and we know that like uh Lila brought in, you know, Brain Boy for a specific or Fez guy or whatever you want to call him. Um <laughs> Kumar. You know, for a specific reason, which is to collect these implements. And since there's only two implements to be collected, like I feel like mm -hmm. that's the extent like that's as far back as we can sort of blame or you know account for his visions at mm -hmm. all um and the fact that they all have you know these sort of physical manifestations which we've never seen before so right. i think there's just internal evidence in the story to say right. like yeah. like that that's the extent like 
Right. Like that, he wasn't responsible for previous visions, you know, in like the right. last season or something. Which which would confirm because like you said before, the you know, Cordy's visions have been getting more intense. Mm-hmm. You know, as we saw in the last episode, like, you know, she had when she had like ghost dentist draw her a bath and stuff, you right. know, like like that that there seems to be more recovery time. Like I feel like yeah. it's it's legitimate to sort of extrapolate that out that like it's going to continue. And we got, you know, the Grusalug saying in sort of the and it was either the finale or the one before that. Um yeah. you know, about like Cordy not being a demon, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. have sort of the strength to keep the visions and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So he doesn't say it quite like that, obviously, but Yeah. Um <clears throat> Well that's I mean, obviously without <coughs> without you confirming one way or the other, like what will be addressed or where the plot goes, I I that makes me uh happy to hear that because if this was gonna kind of solve the vision problem, that was starting to seem a bit like, you know, convenient to me of like oh, it can't just been have been this, like, Fez guy all along. But right. I feel like the evidence does say that, obviously, there's it, this has been going on for much longer and <clears throat> and is is more than just the interference of Wolfram and Hart and everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's good to know that that continues to be, like, yeah. a, a plot point going forward and everything. Yeah. But it, but I definitely see like how you can sort of think like, oh, this is just the next ex- escalation, right? You know, right. And I think thing. that's what it it tries to. That's the that's the red herring is what where it tries to lead you at first. I think, um, you know, yeah. Before you see that it's you know Wolfram and Hart sort of meddling and everything, um, Those but brothers. you know before. <laughs> Before they realize that Wolverine and Hart are meddling, um, it kind of leads them to uh, have all these sort of existential questions about, you know, why is this happening? So, um, you know, on the one hand, you have Cordy uh, asking, you know, you know, her attitude having a major shift of, you know, once she's been sort of, you know, gashed and has boils and burned and all this stuff you know, her thing at the beginning of this being her, you know, her main usefulness to uh, Angel, Um, you know, and her kind of even being willing to put up with the physical trauma to do it, um, that, you know, even she, by like halfway through the episode, is saying, okay, I do have limits. and right. you know, it, it was nice being useful and all, but like this is getting to be a little bit much. And her feeling, you know, very uh abandoned by, you know, again, we don't know much about the powers that be, you know. Um mm. like like number six is God, maybe they're not as nice as they're made out to be, but there is this sure. sense, there is this sense of she you know, they believe they're fighting for good and that the powers that be are leading them towards that. And so there is this kind of sense of her uh, feeling used and abused and forsaken by, you know, these forces and everything. 
and kind of, and I feel like with Cordy, it often comes back to, okay, what did I do wrong? You know, like yeah. it, it, I'm a bad person. I'm like, you know, rude and snippy and whatever else she thinks she's, you know, failed at and is looking for, you know, ways to sort of blame herself and everything. Um, you know, sure. So, so that's kind of where she's at. And then, you know, everyone else is kind of having the same thoughts and it becomes about how do we get in touch with the powers that be? Um, because I think since season one, we haven't had like direct contact. Like once the oracles got killed, you know, we haven't had any like spokespeople. Um, and that's right. been sort of a lacking in the, like direction would have been really handy last season. <laughs> right. And they yeah, didn't yeah. really have that. There wasn't like direct interference. So, um, yeah. So you get this whole like, all right, how do we actually get in touch with these guys? And they don't end up going through with it. Although I do wonder, like, maybe they will continue to think about that idea of like, how can we use the visions to, you know, uh, mm. you know, uh, get in touch with them. Um, sure. And yeah, so I wanted to point out too the fact that it's, you know, Fred's idea. So her kind of out of her room and contributing, you know, ideas to the group and, you know, specifically with like, you know, her, her physics knowledge and everything and uh, coming at it from a different angle. Um, and then it's, you know, they get Lorne to, you know, use his sort of aura reading abilities to try to poke around her mind. So you kind of have like, you know, the B team coming to the forefront with Fred and Lorne being the ones who really, you know, formulate the plan and everything. Although I should point out that it's Wesley who really puts all those pieces together and again acts as that leader who says like, okay, that's a good idea. All right, you go do this, you go do this. He assigns everybody their things and sort of makes it into like a workable plan and everything. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, it doesn't end up really going anywhere because it's not really the powers that be that are behind these visions. So, right. Cordy gets a vision and Lauren flies across the room and, uh, uh, it, you know, it all sort of goes a bit wrong. Um, but obviously that's how they find out that it's really Wolfram and Hart behind it all along. Right. Um, yeah. So, which brings us to them, um, because this is Lila's plot. And, yep. and it's all a big, um, you know, manip manipulation of Angel to get him to do something for her, you know, which is a slightly different approach than Lindsay. I feel like Lindsay and Angel always had a more upfront kind of belligerence in there. Like, yeah. you know, they might be allies if they absolutely had to be, but mostly they, like, didn't really want much to do with each other. Um, whereas... Lila, you kind of have her sneaking around behind his back and sort of, you know, in, you know, kind of 
forcing him or blackmailing him to, you know, uh, do these things for her. So it's a kind of different approach than we've seen before. And, you know, on the one hand, she gets what she wants, right? Because he rescues this guy from prison. But she also sort of loses her ability to ever do that again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because he kills Kumar. Mm -hmm. uh, Angel kills Kumar. um, Or Brain Boy or whatever. Um, (laughs) But also, there's... Like, the other interesting, you know, aspect of it is that Angel apparently is able to use Gavin to get to Lila. Right. Um, Which, you know, is clearly a different setup than, like, I love how, like, suddenly she's, like, defending Lindsay and, you know, saying, like, he he literally gave his hand for, you know, the firm and, like, Mm -hmm. like, suddenly, like, you know, because she, he's pretty much dead to them at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's not literally dead, but he's gone. He's not coming back. And so, you know, for her, it's like, you know, she can paint that relationship however she wants to. And, yeah. like, she's, like, lauding him and, you know, sort of giving him this stuff that she would never say to his face kind of thing. Yeah. Um, You know, to Gavin. So... Uh, that's kind of funny, but but well, you know there and, is definitely and not that sorry I was just gonna say not that um, Lindsay and Lila didn't ever have their differences and and you know fight against each other because mm-hmm. they did, but like you get the sense that here it's even more like at least at that point they were nominally still on the same team, but you don't mm-hmm. get that sense with Gavin at all. Like right. he just wants to sort of push his way in it seems like and and mm. get her out um anyway so what were Although, you gonna say? well he offers her a spot on his team but you definitely get the sense of it would be on his terms right and she's on his team we're not right. on the same exactly. team like you know you'd be working for me and i would you know tell you what to do and everything um which but, i mean presumably like she she's the i mean she's in charge of special projects now right like so like which is which is what makes it weird that Mm -hmm. he's doing that yeah um yeah and another difference too of like yeah like lila is manipulative and secretive here and everything but still there's a sense of like she and Lindsay were kind of you know more fighting the good fight for the forces of evil or whatever but like more out there like in the field and like you know having all these plots and getting things done and whatever whereas like gavin comes in with his you know like as if the wolfram and hart team weren't like you know bureaucratic enough you've got gavin now who like is the absolute like epitome of that of i will fight him through building code violations and like that's absolutely a legitimate you know like he doesn't need um ancient medallions and like you know demons and people released from fiery hell pits and all that like that's way too much work it's it's dangerous it's messy you know it's all these other things he's gonna fight angel through like you know bureaucracy and 
you know, technicalities and paperwork and all this stuff. And I have to wonder if that won't be more effective. (laughs) Like there's a part of me that thinks that like, if he could get Angel and them evicted from their place, like that could do as much damage as any like particular, like, you know, uh, fight that they have, like a physical, you know, fight between Angel and one of their minions or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, possibly. So, I mean, on the one hand, you have Gunn coming home to find exterminators, right? right? right, Like, so you have, like, there's something happening there. And we don't know, like, where those exterminators came from or who hired them or whatever. Right. Um, On the other hand, Lila got the guy she wanted. Sure. And, And she may not be able to control Angel in that way, but they were willing enough to, like, go to some level of time and expense right mm-hmm. cuz i mean they were they were paying kumar right. like, he's like filling, filling out, out his, his like 1099 <laughs> um so uh yeah just that that idea of there's uh uh you know there's an efficacy to her efficacy to her plan that you know like we haven't seen the results of Gavin's plan yet. So sure. It's sort of a one to nothing at this point. Like yeah, maybe yeah. he's playing a longer game and that kind of thing. And, and it could be like, and that's the sort of like, that's what you think of when you think of like big lawsuits and stuff, right? It's like bury them in paperwork mm. kind of thing. Like that's, that's what Gavin does is the traditional lawyer way. Right. Um, right. But also, like, then it seems kind of weird that that's a special project. So what is the special project in just creating a lot of paperwork for them to go through? Like, Right. Well, I assume that it's the the special project maybe is the same as Lila's, which is like, you know, get rid of Angel. Angel. Yeah. Yeah, Like, you know, and and do it in your own. But remember, the goal isn't to get rid of Angel. They well, don't it's know. True. It's too... They don't know what part he has to play yet. So the right. goal is to poke and prod and maybe get and him maybe, turned and maybe annoy Angel is more the goal than like get rid of yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, getting rid of him isn't really the goal. So right, right, but like g- giving him a hard time in whatever form that takes, and definitely like, yeah, I don't. We don't know yet how much. Uh, effect gavin will have i just don't know that i'm as quick to dismiss his methods as uh as lila lila definitely wants to look down on yeah his way of doing things and it just makes me wonder like hmm you know how much damage can he do yeah yeah you know no and and i don't i definitely don't think we should dismiss it i just want to say too i i just want to point out that like we know lila's worked it won't work again, but it worked this time. Right. You know. Yes. Uh, no, it's not for for what it. It's for not unaffected at all. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and again, like, is the goal here to turn Angel? Not exactly, but there's still a sense of like, you worked for us for a little while. Like we kind of forced you to play on our team, and so there's a kind of like you know, uh, weird sort of recruitment going on, even though it's transparent and doesn't last beyond the episode or whatever. Um, there's still that sense of like, 
just like before, we are very happy with a evil angel who does our evil bill our evil bidding too. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can get him to do bad things on our behalf, well, that's good. Um, so, yeah, sort of getting what they want there. Um, and yeah, so the what it is that she wants is this guy to get out of this fiery jail. Um, and yeah, definitely not, uh, too hard to see that there's a lot of, you know, ominous feeling at the end there of, you know, Angel knowing that, you know, Cordy kind of feels bad about him having to compromise in order to save her and everything, but Angel being kind of upfront about that of like, look in the moment, it, it, this was the only way to, you know, save your life and everything. And that had to come first. And, you know, we'll have to deal with the consequences when they come. So you definitely have a feeling like there will be some consequences here. And this is, you know, not your average, you know, criminal, um, mm. you know, the kind of smirk that he gives at the end is, you know, kind of chilling and everything. Um, and, you know, Skip, his <laughs> his friendly jailer, Skip, kind of talking about how, like, you you don't think just anybody ends up in a place like this. Like, you know, right. if you're being guarded by, like, a really scary-looking demon in a continually burning pit of fire, you've probably done something pretty awful. So um, letting this guy go is definitely going to, come back to bite them in some form or other, you yeah. know? Yeah. No, it's, and it's, yeah, right. It's like solitary confinement on steroids, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely seems like not a good dude. And that even just that sort of look he gives Angel at the end, yeah. like, yeah, you just know he's, he's an evil dude. Mm-hmm. We don't know how or what he can do, but we'll figure it out at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Skip too. I mean, I'm glad we'll see him again as well because definitely an enjoyable, you know, just the kind of, uh, you know, ordinariness of their conversation, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> it's just like, hey, hey, on. <laughs> hey, you know, and like, you know, he, he, he commutes to work, you know, and it's not right. that bad of a commute. Um. You know, and and how, like, they kind of respect each other and are polite. And, you know, he doesn't really want to fight Angel. It's only because he, you know, Angel insists that he actually. So it's like, again, one of these uh, sort of friendly demons who, uh, mm. you know, proving again our theory that not all demons are necessarily pure evil. Um so yeah yeah uh i just one other little production note um mm-hmm. skip is actually named for skip schoolnick who you may have seen in the credits um mm. he's one of the like producers or oh okay you know whatever um anyway not no nothing real big there but he's just one of the guys who uh he, he he's a he's a director i think on a number of episodes and and 
Yeah. Um, It's a nice, happy name. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, anyway. Um, So, so, yeah, I was just trying to figure out, like, where to go from there. (laughs) Uh, And I don't know that I have a ton more to talk about this episode. I feel like, I mean, Cordy makes up the bulk of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we already talked about sort of like the, the Wolfram and Hart stuff. What what else did you have? Um, um, other than, Dar- well, and maybe before Darla, because I know we sure. kind of want Yeah, I mean, Hart. I feel like the resolution of it is pretty straightforward. Like they, yeah. they make the trade, they go through with it. Um, you know, they, Lila, you know, holds up her end of the bargain and they release Cordy. So Cordy's sort of at least, you know, physically back to normal, even if, you know, the visions are still obviously going to come, but at least from the Wolfram and Hart side of things, she's been healed um, and is very happy about that. Um, And yeah. And you get Angel making sure that it won't happen again, both by taking out, you know, the Fez guy through his brain and, uh, and by, you know, threatening Lila personally, you know, don't come at me through the friends. Like, that's not, you know, not a good way to get at Angel. Um, so, yeah, if she tries that again, she'll be in trouble. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm not sure there's too much uh, left to say about them. I mean, just that sense of you know, the compromise that had to be made and how that's just a reality that they'll have to deal with. Um, And that doesn't necessarily make it the right or the wrong choice. Just, you know, um, you know, kind of a utilitarian view, I guess, of like, you have to, sometimes you have to do something which you don't think is right in order to achieve something else which is so that's sort of angel's perspective at the end um but to kind of finish up with darla it is interesting too that it's from that conversation about consequences that they flip to her you know he's talking about like oh i'm sure there'll be consequences but i don't know what they will be so i can't really Mm -hmm prepare for them and I'll just have to deal with them when they come. And then we cut to Darla, you know, who's um, still very pregnant and looking for her, you know, shaman to help her. So you have this idea of like, this is another consequence of something that Angel doesn't know about yet. Um, You know, he had this one night again with Darla and it resulted in this, you know, pregnancy so there are a few different consequences that might be coming back to you know Mm -hmm. uh haunt angel in the next episodes um and she yeah well yeah she tries to we knew she was looking for a shaman and she finds one um and it seems like she wants him to terminate the pregnancy I guess or at least tell her like what it is because she seems like there shouldn't be able to be one you know vampires don't normally get pregnant it doesn't seem so he tries to do some <laughs> magic and it doesn't work um 
so yeah, she's off to confront daddy and go straight to the source, I guess. So, um, we'll see that where that goes. I don't know, uh, if you have anything else in that scene that you wanted to point out in particular. Um, yeah, no, I don't, don't really. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's pretty straightforward. Like, you know, we saw her at the end of the last episode, you know, looking for some kind of address or whatever. Right. So this like clearly seems to be where she yeah, was getting that name and number or not number, but the, the name and place location, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, no, this is obviously, you know, like the guy says, I forget the exact words, but you know, like this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening kind mm-hmm. of thing. And like, yeah, vampires don't really, they're not alive. So to like be able to create life mm-hmm. seems absurd, you know, in right. its own way, but clearly, you know, something happened here, uh, beyond, uh, uh the normal course of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't like intentionally, there's not a lot given here. It's just that, yeah, you know, certainly vampires shouldn't normally get pregnant and, and now, like she says, like, you know, guess it's time to go see daddy, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, we probably don't have to wait too long before we, <laughs> you yeah. know, before daddy becomes aware of what's going on. Um, <laughs> we don't technically know yet that it's Angel, but, you know, the timing works. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty, pretty exactly, I think. So, yeah. Unless something happened when uh, Darla was staying in Lindsay's apartment. That's true. That's true. Or wait a minute. Doesn't she say that father was a vampire? Yeah, she does. She does. So it is, yeah. Unless there's another vampire we don't know about. But yeah. Um, Um, Cool. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, obviously. But yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think there's too much to unpack in that scene really so i think we're good Good all right um so i do want to just before we end real quick just Mm want to set up buffy so you know again we're coming in um to season six with uh the first episode bargaining part one um do want to note that the first two episodes were aired back to back on October 2nd, 2001. So um, the cut is done differently in different uh, media. Mm. So like, for example, if you have the DVDs, um, the cut between the episodes is going to happen in a slightly different spot than uh, the cut in um you know, like say Netflix, uh, uh-huh. where they, they cut the the episodes slightly differently, um, and and I'll just go ahead and say it: the cut is where we see Buffy on screen for the first time. Um, on the DVDs, you don't see her in episode one of season six. Uh, okay. On on Netflix, you do see her right at the end. Okay. Um, but sort of in the in the like if you're if you're watching the minutes, it's like minute forty six or something. So it's like technically after. Like mm-hmm. a normal episode length would, gotcha. You know, would so, appear. So, um, which one are we gonna? So I, you know, do? it's I. 
like we know we already know at this point that Buffy comes back. Right. So I don't I don't know that it's that critical uh, yeah. because we are going to be talking about these back to back on our own. It'll just mm-hmm. be, you know, in separate episodes, you know, yeah. a week apart or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so just know that like sort of at the split between the two episodes is where we first see Buffy, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think, I think that's important because I mean, again, obviously we know Buffy's coming back, but how she comes back and the fact that like, it's an episode without Buffy in it mm-hmm. of Buffy. So like, you know, yeah. we're getting this, you know, thing of with the Scoobies, you know, and, and what's going on in Sunnydale without Buffy or any other Slayers, because mm-hmm. I I think we talked, I can't remember if we talked about this on the episode or not, but like sort of in the, in the line of Slayers, like Buffy's death doesn't trigger a new Slayer anymore. That Slayer's already been triggered, you know, with Faith who is in prison at this point. Right. right. So like, there's like, we already know, like there's no other Slayer coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so like again, I don't want to get into too deep of a conversation about it, but I don't know that it's that critical. Like it's literally just a few seconds that mm-hmm. you know it, on either side of which this cut can happen. Right. Uh, we're not talking like you know full huge scene or anything. It's just mm-hmm. sort of that shock value of seeing her. So I you know it's fine if you want to watch it on Netflix or whatever. Just just wanted to note that that is the case of right. you know they're they're there is a difference depending on how you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever. So, um, and, uh, you know, these, uh, this opening episode has a bump in viewership. So, you know, towards the end of, uh, season, uh, five, you're getting close to 5 million, like, you know, between like 4.6, 4.7 and, and the, the finale was 5.2 you know, million here you're getting the season starting off with uh, 7.7 million viewers. Again, I don't know that that always indicates the quality of the episode, but it certainly, I think, I I think it certainly indicates, you know, the fact that there were a lot of people uh, anxious and waiting to see. um, And this is really the highest level of viewership since um, the highest point, uh, the highest episode was Innocence way back in season two mm-hmm. with seven point nine million. So mm-hmm. seven point seven, you're you're very close to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and clearly you have a lot of interest there. Now it does sort of degrade quickly, and and by the end of the season we're back to about the same numbers as the end of season five. But sure. Um, you know, just just the fact that like you do have sort of between the the you know change in the uh station that is being aired on and Buffy's death and this and that you have a lot of people sort of ready and waiting to tune in when it when it comes. Also, I'll point out <laughs> that this marks uh season 6 of Buffy marks the cha- a change in the showrunner. So this is where we get ah. uh Marty Noxon who writes the first episode and um directed by David Grossman uh you know, we get Marty Noxon becoming the showrunner uh, as Joss is going off um, initially to to work on the musical episode, which we'll get later in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also he start uh, he, Firefly gets picked up, so he 
goes on to uh, start working on that, as well as continuing to be, you know, at least somewhat involved in um, Angel. So uh, right, right. if you follow Marty Noxon on Twitter, you see her tagline is, I ruined Buffy and I will ruin you too. Um, <laughs> this this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the end the for those who... Uh, it's all who, downhill from here. Who, who believe that Marty Noxon <laughs> did indeed ruin Buffy. Um, I don't think she ruined it. I think there are strengths and weaknesses, certainly, to her time as showrunner. But sure. I think there are strengths and weaknesses to Joss Whedon's time as showrunner, too. So like, yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily think that you can lay all the blame or all the praise solely at the feet of the showrunner. Certainly yeah. a lot yeah. of it, but yeah. I, I would... Or just to continue talking about those strengths and weaknesses as we yeah. can. Um, well, I think we got used to that comparing and contrasting the the Davies and the yeah. Moffat eras, you know. And yeah. I think we both landed in a place of, okay, different yeah. showrunners have those different strengths and weaknesses. and um, But there is that tendency among the, the you know, the, the internet you know, the kind of amorphous sure. mass, which is the internet, to kind of have a very defined opinion of, you know, good and evil, I think. Um, whereas I think we like those ambiguities a little bit more. But um, yeah, interesting. I will look forward to seeing yeah. what kinds of, you know, changes, just not necessarily in quality, but just like in sort of tone or idea or whatever that she brings to the table um yeah so yeah and 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 it's important to note that even though joss is doing other things like he doesn't completely like disappear from like the season and stuff he does write the musical episode and you know he's still involved in the seasonal arcs and stuff so like it's not like no he's completely out of the picture like like with Davies and Moffat where Davies leaves and just kind of that's it you know right right Um, no I'm sure he still has sort of you know uh, a guiding hand or you know some say in sort of the general trajectory of things yeah and he's still a co-executive producer or whatever you know the term is so yeah yeah anyway anyway all right well yeah with all of that I'll uh I'll I'll let you go and we'll talk about the first episode next week. After like a month and a half, I finally get to watch Buffy. <laughs> I know, right? It's been so long. <laughs> All right. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.